0: So I want to ask you to open your Bible to John 3.16. Some of you will say that's the first verse I memorized. So as we stand together looking at John 3.16, actually, if you will, so that I know that uh, we have a variety of translations out here. Some of you even have a Bible app that you can pull up about any translation you want. But so we're reading from the same translation. If you'll look at the screen with me. Uh, what I want you to do is read it out loud. And so we're going to read this together out loud, John three sixteen. Ready? Join me and read this out loud. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Father, we thank you for that promise and that offer of eternal life. I pray that we will receive it, every one of us, Especially if there's someone here this morning, Lord, who has never embraced you as Savior and Lord, that today they would receive you and thus receive eternal life. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. The life eternal. I've got a subtitle for this one. Just call it All This and Heaven Too. All This, the life exchanged, the life exalted the exemplified life, all that Jesus offers us in this life and heaven too. D.L. Moody tells the story of a swan that had come upon a lake and had just kind of this glow about him, and and, and the crane that happened to fly over said, what do you look so happy about? And the swan said, oh, I've just been thinking about heaven and all that is in heaven and all that heaven... Embraces and all that heaven offers, and the crane said, Well, I'm just looking for snails. The swine goes on to say, Oh, but have you heard of heaven? Heaven is a place where there will be streets of gold and there's mansions and, and splendor and and, uh, and 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 the swine began to describe all the scenes of heaven. And the crane said, well, I'm looking for snails right now. Can you help me find a snail? Have you seen any snails? And the swan said, well, no, I haven't. But aren't you interested in me telling you all about heaven? This I've discovered and learned some wonderful truths and, and things about heaven. And the crane said, are there any snails in heaven? And the swan said, well, I, I don't know. I don't think so. And the crane responded, well, I'm not interested. What Dr. Moody was trying to say was, That there are a lot of us that are so focused on little things this world has to offer just to get by from day to day, that we don't think about the splendor and the glory of eternity with Jesus Christ. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus is interested in the kingdom, but more importantly, he's interested in the person of Jesus Christ. And I would say as a believer, as a Christ follower, I would encourage all of us to realize if we're not... Interested in Jesus Christ as king, then we're probably not really interested in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus, a member of the Sanhedrin, a teacher, a leading expert in Old Testament law. What we would call Old Testament law, they would have simply called the Torah the law of Moses. And he was an expert in that law, a teacher in all of Israel. And he comes to Jesus by night. Jesus presupposes his question and begins to explain a few things to him about the kingdom. And the best we can tell, Nicodemus embraced this message because by the time you come to John chapter 19 verses 38 and 39 when Jesus was crucified on the cross, Nicodemus and another silent Christian up until that point, Joseph of Arimathea, took the body of Christ Not so worried about who identified them with Christ anymore. They took care of the body of Christ. They laid the body of Christ in a tomb and identified in a very public way with the Christ who had died for them. Something in this conversation changed the life of Nicodemus. Perhaps it was the fact that Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus that you must be born again, and Nicodemus said, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. How can I be born twice But if you only want to die once, the physical death, but not a spiritual death, not the second death, then you have to be born twice. If you're born twice, born not only physically, but born spiritually, if what Jesus said was born of the water and of the Spirit, which I believe represented the Word word of God and regeneration of the Holy Spirit when He applies the gospel to our lives, if you're not born twice, then you will die twice. You will die the physical death and you will die the eternal spiritual death. Maybe it was the fact that Jesus explained to Nicodemus that the kingdom of heaven is like the wind. You can't see it. You can see the effects of the wind. You can even feel the effects of the wind. But you just don't grasp it. But he said, listen, you will never see it unless you are born again. Because when you're born again, your eyes will be open to this new kingdom and this new life, this life eternal And I don't think he just meant by that one day, Nicodemus, you will go to heaven and see that. I think he was saying, you will see the right now kingdom of God when you're born again. You'll understand it. You'll grasp it. You'll be a part of it. Because there is a right now, but not yet aspect to the kingdom. The kingdom of God is advancing today as the Holy Spirit indwells believers who receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And so we are not just going to the kingdom of heaven and going to the kingdom of God one day. We are already, if Jesus Christ is Lord of our life, we are already part of that kingdom. And the Bible says we're already citizens of heaven. Isn't that good to know? Our citizenship is already there. And we are only here as ambassadors for Christ for a time. And so I want to give you three foundational truths this morning. I believe this is absolute truth in God's Word that we can live out and experience in our life beginning today. Three foundational truths about eternal life. And the first one has to do with purpose. You'll notice I use the word purpose a lot because I believe that one of my responsibilities as a pastor is to help believers to know why we are here and what we're supposed to be about. Why we believe what we believe. What is the purpose behind all of this? And so He names what I believe in John 3.16 to begin with, the purpose of eternal life. What is the purpose of eternal life? Why would God want you to experience eternal life? Well, it's right here in the first part of the verse. For God so loved the world. The purpose of eternal life is this. You were created in God's image to experience life in a loving relationship with Him. You exist to experience life in a loving relationship with Almighty God. That life begins here, and that life goes on forever. Even though David admitted in the Old Testament, that he was conceived in sin. He also acknowledged that though he was conceived in sin, that he was fearfully and wonderfully made. There is something about us that even though we live in a sin-fallen world, even though the image of God is badly marred, we are created in the image of God. Though we can't save ourselves and do anything good apart from God, we are still created in the image of God because God created us to relate uniquely with him. I would think that we would be more like something like fire ants to God. (laughs) Yesterday, I was out in my yard, and I picked up a log. It was kind of a rotten log, and I began to carry it to get rid of it. And the next thing I knew, fire ants were crawling on my hands. Some of you experienced that this time of year, and I'm just... (laughs) And, and I'm angry, and, and I'm frustrated, the fire ants, you know, and, and, and this time of year we're trying to find what we can do because they're little, they, they, they bother you, they're annoying, they just kind of, kind of get in the way. And sometimes when I think about our God being holy and eternal and infinite and transcendent and wonderful and glorious and all these things, and I think about who we are, I think God should just be going, man, you just bother me, Just get I don't need you. Because God is complete in and of himself. But because we are created in the image of God. See, fire ants aren't in our image. But because we are created in the image of God, God desires to have a love relationship with us that lasts forever. God so loved, look at the verse, the world. And by the word world here, we're not talking about the worldly system. We always, always want to be sure that we, we look at words in context in Scripture. Because there are verses like uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 that says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. For he that loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is of the world is the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. And so the Bible could seem contradictory there. It says in one place, God so loved the world, it tells us, as believers, don't love the world. Well, when it says not to love the world, he names the world he says not to love. The world that is full of lust, of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. All those things that are part of this worldly system that is anti-God and anti-Christ. He says, don't fall in love with the, the things of this world. But God loves all people in the world. For God so loved the world is referring to all of the people in the world. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says that God is patient concerning His second coming because He is not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want anybody to die without Him. And so He's giving people more and more time for there to be more people who come to faith in Him. God wants all to live forever with Him. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8 says God is love. And so by His very nature... He loves all people and wants all people to come into a right relationship with Him. This relational aspect to the purpose of eternal life reminds us that eternal life has as much to do with quality as it does quantity. It's not just about living forever. It's about living with Jesus Christ. It's not just the future promise of heaven. As I said a moment ago, if heaven is your primary goal then you may not be going. Those who are going to heaven have the primary goal of living for the Lord Jesus Christ and being in His presence. When you come to John chapter 4, if you just want to turn over a page in your Bible here, John chapter 4, Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well who has all kinds of issues, but he's explaining that he has come to give her something better than what this world has to offer. Jesus answers her in verse 10 and says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us well gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, listen to this, welling up to eternal life. The substance of eternal life is not what we experience when we get to heaven, but what we begin to experience through a relationship with Christ right now. Consider John chapter 10 and verse 10 where he says, The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest, that you might have an overflowing life, an abundant life, even right here on earth. And Why did John write this gospel, by the way? Why do we have John 3.16, John chapter 4, John chapter Uh, 6 and 7 and 14 and all these wonderful chapters that have to do with life and life everlasting, life eternal, and the fact that Jesus is the way, truth, and the life. John tells us why he wrote this whole gospel. We know it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but John tells us in John chapter 20 verse 31, these things have I written to you that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing you may have life in His name. God's goal is not just heaven, but that we live forever in and through and with him. Man's primary purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Our youth had a fun weekend. Many of them went down to uh, Camp Coletto and goofed off, had a good time. I even got to see a couple of Facebook posts of what they were up to. And uh, I mean they were just having a blast. I remember one time as we were getting ready to do something with a, with, a, with a youth group one time like this, I had some kids that had not gone to a particular location. We were going at the church where I was serving, and they began to argue about, well, we don't want to go here. We want to go there. We don't want to go there. We want to go, and they begin to fuss. We don't want to go here. We, here's what we'd really like to do, and I, and I finally just had to silence it, and I said, listen, it's not about where we go. It's that we're together. That's what makes it a trip exciting and fun and it's the fact that we're hanging out on a bus together it's that sometimes we're stopping at a rest area a restaurant it's we're it's the fellowship of the body of Christ it's just it's just awesome to be together and you could you could put a group of kids that love the Lord on a bus or a group of senior adults that love the Lord on a bus and you just go somewhere and not even tell them where you're going and if they love the Lord they're just having a good time because they're together And see, that's the wonderful thing about heaven is we can can talk all about and debate what heaven's going to be like and what we experience when we get there. The point of it is, is that we are with Jesus, and the family of God is together. Paul says, I am well pleased, I'm content and well pleased to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's just being with him. That's what it's all about. So if you've got your eyes on, listen, I, we'll talk about the splendors of heaven in a moment, but if your eyes are first and foremost on, well, one day will I escape the flames of hell and experience the splendors of heaven and the streets of gold and the, and the pearly gates and maybe and have a nice Cadillac. I don't know what all heaven will. If we get all caught up in that and, and, and we don't make being with Jesus the number one thing, the main thing, then we may not be going because it may be that we haven't entered into a relationship With Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of heaven. That's the purpose of eternal life. It's a relationship, a love relationship with our Creator. Number two, I want you to see the provision in this verse for eternal life. The provision for eternal life. Well, how do we experience it? Jesus said, not only did God so love the world, but He says He so loved the world, He loved the world in this way, that He gave His only Son John 1.14 says, The Word had become flesh and dwelt among us. In chapter 3 and verse 14, though Jesus says, The Son must be lifted up as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. What had happened there in the book of Numbers is they had begun to grumble and complain and God sent these poisonous, fiery serpents to bite them and and, and, and the, the Jewish people started dying off and Moses made under the direction of the Lord a bronze serpent, and he lifted it up, and they looked at that for their healing. Jesus says, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He would be lifted up on a cross so that we could experience eternal life, so that he could draw all men unto him. This goes back to the exchange life that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the provision and the only provision for eternal life. But also consider, if eternal life is life with God, that means our sin must be atoned for. Our sin must be atoned for. Anybody ever had your mama tell you not to do something in the house? Don't don't that you can't you can't play that in the house. You can't bring it might have been when my brother brought critters into the house. Here's a snake, you know. (laughs) Get that out of my house. That's not coming into my house. And now we tell our kids that no, not in the house. Don't track into the house. Don't bring that into the house. And then when they get older, maybe the kids, maybe we have to have a serious conversation because the kids get engaged and involved in some behaviors that we don't approve of and we'll say very firmly, hopefully, as, even as a dad, not in my house. That will not take place. If you're going to live under the same roof with me, this behavior, this substance, this is not going to exist in this house. And we should be that way as parents. But think about this a holy and a righteous God, a perfect God who's creating a perfect heaven for us. Don't you think he has the right to say, that sin is not coming into my house. Your sin isn't coming. I love you, but I hate sin. Your sin isn't coming into my house. Not only that, God is a holy God. He can't allow that sin into his presence. So here's what he did. He atoned for our sin. That is the provision for and the provision of eternal Life. In Romans three twenty three, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. First John chapter four and verse ten. It says you want to know a definition of love, he says here in his love, not that we love God, but that God first loved us and gave his son to be the propitiation. You know what the word propitiation means? It means atoning sacrifice. He gave His Son to be the atoning sacrifice to cover our sin. His blood covering our sin so that we can be positionally holy in the presence of a loving and a, and, and a holy God. Some of my more Reformed friends love to use the word limited atonement. Christ only died for a, that certain... Few whom he had handpicked to believe in him, and i 'll say this: I, I do believe to a degree in limited atonement, but only that it 's limited in application. I do not believe the atonement is limited in any way in availability. I believe his love is available for all we 've already seen that he so loved the world that whosoever believes in him, but here 's what first John chapter two and verse two says he died not only for us but for not only for our sins he says but for the sins of the world and there are certain theologians who will come along and say oh but if jesus died for everybody if he died for the sins of the world and not everybody believes in him then that would be wasted blood and i think that they mean well when they say that when they say the things like well i don't believe in um the the fact that that Jesus died for everybody because he in his sovereignty didn't plan for everybody to go to heaven. I I think they're well-meaning when they say that, but I think they just simply miss out on the fact that the Scriptures say that Jesus died for the sins of the world. Now, that does not mean you can go to another end of this spectrum. That does not mean universal atonement. That does not mean that everybody will automatically be saved and go to heaven because the blood is applied to their life whether they receive it by faith or not. God's grace, God's eternal life must be received by faith. It's offered by grace, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace, grace, unmerited favor, not deserved. For by grace are you saved through faith. That's just the way we receive it. It's not a good work we do to earn it. Faith is just to open arms to receive it. By faith. Through faith. By grace. In Christ alone. Some say, oh, but if we, if, if we really preach salvation by grace... That that salvation is a free gift and we don't have to do anything to earn it, nor do we have to do anything to keep it. If you preach salvation by grace, that will be a license to sin. No, salvation by grace is a brand new life. It is eternal life that begins right now. Second Corinthians 5:17. if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things will pass away. All things will become new if he's genuinely born again. If she's genuinely born again, that will not be a license to sin for them because they're a new person. They will desire to live for God like never before. The spirit life, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Because he provided a way to heaven, I can't help but out of gratitude want to live for him. That's the beautiful simplicity of the gospel. God loves us. God can't allow sin into his presence. And so he provided an atoning sacrifice to cleanse our sins. It is applied by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And as Romans 8 says, There is there now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It's as if we're standing in a courtroom and a judge finds us guilty and finds us $100,000. And we say, but judge, I know I'm guilty, but I have no way to pay $100,000. And he goes, well, you're going to serve a sentence until you come up with a way. Well, we'll serve this sentence, but we'll never come up with a way. And all of a sudden, our lawyer steps up, who happens to be the son of the judge. And the lawyer says, I'm going to pay their fine. And he pays the fine... And explains to the judge, I'm using my inheritance from you to pay the fine. So that we go off free. But it's much, much more than that. Because the price for our sin was not $100,000 or anything you could ever buy with money or good works. It cost Jesus his very life's blood. He gave the ultimate sacrifice. Your good works your penance, your guilt feelings, beating up yourself, none of that serves the purpose of redemption. It's the free gift that Jesus gave us on the cross that we don't earn or deserve. That's the provision of eternal life. And finally, and here's the part that most of us think about when we hear the word eternal life, and and it's what we'll close with this morning, but I want us to think about this, this third truth, and that is the permanence of eternal life. The permanence of eternal eternal life. He says, those who, whosoever believes in him, who who has appropriated the atonement by faith, shall not perish. They will not die, but they will have eternal, everlasting life. Life without end. Upon physical death, for the believer, the one who has put his faith and trust, the one who has put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, upon physical death, their spirit goes on, living in the presence, the glorious eternal presence of Jesus Christ. As I said before, Paul says in this state, in this condition, after our body dies physically, we are content, we are even well pleased, even before the bodily resurrection and before we even receive a glorified body. When we are in some disembodied state in paradise with Jesus, we are content, we are well pleased, because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But it only gets better. At Christ's return, we get a resurrected body. His resurrection that we celebrated last week is the guarantee of our resurrection. He is the first fruits of the resurrection, first fruits coming forth from the dead. We follow him because he got up from the dead. And we know we'll one day receive a glorified body. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Beginning with verse 13, he says, We don't want you to be ignorant. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will, with him, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive and are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep, For the Lord himself would ascend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And it's not that you have been in some kind of unconscious soul sleep during that time. Your spirit has already been in paradise with Jesus, but you will one day receive a resurrected glorified body, and you'll meet him in the air along with those who have not died. Now, I kind of like the guy who said, I'm looking for the upper taker, not the undertaker. I just soon skip out on that part of physical death. But it's not something I fear, because at the moment my body dies physically, I will be in the presence of the living Lord, and I will be more alive at that moment than I ever have been in this life. At that moment, we begin to enjoy at the resurrection glorified body the marriage supper of the Lamb. The very first scene there after the resurrection of the body we're enjoying is still... Being present with the Lord, our spirit's present with the Lord, then when we receive a resurrected body, we're present with the Lord. Marriage Supper of the Lamb, what are we doing? We have been, as the bride of Christ, married to Almighty God, and now we're celebrating that homecoming at the Marriage Supper of the Lamb as the church. Then after the tribulation period, and for those who are post-tribulational, God might let you Hang around a little bit longer if you want to. But after the tribulation period, when we return with Christ, we reign for a thousand years. What's the purpose of all of that? It's Christ's presence in the world like never before. It's being with Him. Not just so we can say, ah, we told you things would be better if we just followed Jesus. But it's so that we can truly live in this world in a way that glorifies Him. And after that, those who were born once will die the second death according to Revelation chapter 20, verses 13-15. through 15. Those who are only born once will be resurrected as well, but condemned to an eternal separation from God in a place called hell. But those of us who know Him, Revelation chapter 21 and 22, it it says basically what we experience at the moment we first get into His presence is just the beginning because things just get better and better and better. These verses are familiar to you, but just think about it this morning. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. This is after the thousand-year reign. I know a lot of times at, at funerals and other places we describe the new heaven and new earth as a place where our loved ones already are, but the truth is nobody's experienced the new heaven and the new earth yet. This is coming after the millennial reign. And I saw a holy city, the New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, listen, of all the glories of heaven we could read about in Revelation 21 and 22, listen to what he begins it with. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. It's the presence of Almighty God. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. The former things have passed away. This permanent, eternal life just gets better and better and better, and I believe it starts right now when we put our faith and trust in him. An American tourist was visiting the home of a believer in Poland. And when he went into the home, he noticed there wasn't any furniture. And he asked the homeowner, he said, where's your furniture? And the homeowner looked back at the tourist and said, where's yours? (laughs) And he goes, well, I'm just a visitor. I'm just passing through. I don't have any furniture here. And this believer said, so am I. I'm just a visitor. I'm just passing through. Don't hold on to the things of this world too tightly. We're just passing through. Richard Baxter wrote, My knowledge of that life is small. The eye of faith is dim. But it's enough that Christ knows all. And that I shall be with him, that's enough, that I'll be with him. But being with him is going to get better and better and better and better. And it doesn't begin one day when I'm raptured out of this place. It begins the moment I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I experience life eternal. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?